please turn with me in God's word to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, as we find, finally come to this last chapter here in the book of Revelation in our sermon series, Victory in Jesus. Uh, but this morning we'll be looking at verses 1 to 9 here of Revelation chapter 22. While you're turning there, I wonder how many of us have been able to go to a fine arts museum. Now, I know my wife and I several years ago were able to go to one not far from here, and it was truly a blessing for me to appreciate and enjoy. But if you've ever been able to go to one, how do you look at the artwork? Well, to put it simply, you stop and you stare at what's before you. But why? Why spend so much time looking at a piece of artwork? It's because you can gain a greater appreciation for the art as you carefully observe its beauty, its design, its composition. And so the longer you look at a piece of art, the more you appreciate its details, the, the precision of a portrait, the brush strokes of a painting, the colors used in its composition. And it's as we grow in appreciation for artwork, we often come to admire what is pictured. See, God created us to admire beauty, which is why art is so important, both for us in our culture and society, as well as personally in our own lives. We are more than rational creatures who follow logic and reason to form conclusions, aren't we? We also have emotions that are moved through what we see and take in with our senses. Which is why, in His Word, God doesn't simply give us doctrinal arguments to understand who He is and what He said. But He also gives us pictures to show us what life in this world is like and what we have to look forward to in the world to come. And that's what we find here. Because this morning we come to the final picture that's recorded for us in the book of Revelation. And God reveals this to us so that we will admire our future eternity as we appreciate the details that we see of this glorious paradise with Him. So, brothers and sisters, let us read together Revelation 22, verses 1 to 9. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. 
There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Brothers and sisters, May we again come before our God in prayer before we continue. Let us pray. Oh, Father, what an amazing word picture you bring before us this morning as the Scripture is read here in Revelation 22. Oh, Lord, help us to appreciate and admire its great beauty. As your Spirit works in us, Lord, may we then hear these words and keep these words through our faith in Jesus Christ. And may these words indeed magnify Christ our Savior and glorify you in the glorious paradise we will enjoy in your presence forever. May we then hear and keep these words again, Lord. We pray then all of these things in the name of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, why does God reveal this word picture to us, brothers and sisters? So that we will prepare for an, our enjoyment of God's glorious paradise. Oh, let us prepare to enjoy God's glorious paradise. So we can divide this first in half by first seeing our enjoyment of paradise as it is seen in verses 1 to 5. And this is then followed by our preparation for paradise in verses 6 to 9. So our enjoyment of paradise followed by our preparation for paradise. Let's begin then with this enjoyment of paradise. Of course, the Apostle John has recorded these symbolic visions of prophecy from God in order to encourage Christ's churches as we struggle and suffer in this present evil age. And we've seen through Revelation that after all of the temptations and the trials and the troubles and the tribulation in this world, Christ will return at the end of this age so that God's judgment will come against sinners and their rebellion against Him. And God's justice will finally come for their hostility and their oppression of Christ's church. 
And once God's judgment is complete, he will unite heaven and earth so that all those who are redeemed by Christ's blood will then enter into a new heaven and a new earth to dwell in God's presence forever. And so our eternal home here, where we dwell with God, is previewed in different ways. We've seen in chapter 21 this eternal home, our eternal home being pictured as the bride of the Lamb, who is Christ, which shows us our intimate relationship with Him as our husband in the world to come. But our eternal home dwelling with God is also revealed as a holy city, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven for us to live in. And this city is symbolically revealed to us as a giant cube of gold decorated with jewels to show us the beauty of living in the very presence of our holy God forever. But now we come to another way that our eternal home dwelling with God is described, which is as the new and the greater Garden of Eden. See, as this chapter begins, the angel who carried John away from the Spirit to show him the great city now shows him the city is also a glorious garden that fills the earth. This is a garden city. And the comparisons between what we read in these verses and what we read about in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, they're clear. They're clear. First, there is a pure river. A pure river. Do you know what we read of back in Genesis 2, verse 10? The Garden of Eden? Read, Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. But this river is superior, since it is a river of water of life which makes it infinitely purer and greater than the most treated and best filtered water that we can enjoy and be refreshed by today, right? Because this water gives us life. This is the water that Jesus spoke of back in John chapter 4, verse 14, when he said to the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then a few chapters later in John 7, verses 37 to 39, we read, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me to drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See then how our eternal life is received through the Holy Spirit, which is the water of life. This is why then God declared in Revelation 21, verse 6, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life 
freely to him who thirsts. And now this water is flowing freely to us in this garden as a river, clear as crystal, which is what was always uh, was was also revealed about the holy city and its and its streets. Right? They were made of pure gold, but they were also like transparent glass, so they could clearly radiate God's glory throughout His creation. So here we have this river of water of life in the garden. And what is the source of the river? Where does it begin? Where does it flow from? In Revelation 22, we see it flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So can you see the Trinity here in these verses? This throne belongs equally to God and to the Lamb, from which then flows the river of the Holy Spirit. So we confess our God as the Holy Trinity with Christ's church throughout the centuries in the Nicene Creed when we say, and I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. So we're starting to see this comparison made between the Garden of Eden and this greater garden of Eden. Well, back in Genesis, the Garden of Eden, we read of Adam and Eve hearing the sound of the Lord God walking with, uh, within the garden in the cool of the day. But here in this garden, God is now sitting on his throne with Christ the Lamb, where we will dwell in his presence as he rules over the entire world to come. And this river that that flows down from his throne flows down the middle of the city street. Which, as George Eldon Ladd reminds us, is not meant to simply show us a canal at the center of Main Street, New Jerusalem. Like the the streets that we find in Amsterdam with all their canals. But this vision brings together the symbolism of our eternal home because this glorious paradise is both like a city and a garden in which we will experience the fullness of life. And so on either side of this river, we read, was the tree of life. And of course, this was the tree in the midst of the Garden of Eden which would have given Adam and Eve eternal life if they had obeyed God's commands and eaten his fruit, or eaten of its fruit. But what did they eat? Of course, they ate from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is why God then drove them out of the Garden of Eden and placed angels in a flaming sword at its entrance to guard the way to the tree of life which then left them to return to the dust of the ground under the curse of death. But in this garden, oh listen, in this garden, we finally have free access to the tree of life. Since our lamb was slain on a tree to give us this life. And death has been forever removed from the new heaven and the new earth. 
Now, as far as the details of this vision, there is some debate whether John saw one tree at the center of this river as it divides to surround it, or whether he sees this tree of life as 12 trees on the side of both banks of the river. But either way, they bear 12 fruits. You know, when you think about the fruit that we enjoy, the fruit that we eat, we're usually only able to enjoy the sweetness of a fruit in its season once the crop is harvested. But these fruits are 12 because they are available to us every month of the year, providing us with an endless supply of sweetness to enjoy as we dwell with God forever. And think about, so we have a a river of life and we have a tree of life. And what are the most basic of necessities for us to survive in this world? But food and water. And what is God abundantly supplying us with in the world to come? Food and water. Both are abundantly provided for us in the world to come. So not only will we enjoy then this life in the presence of God, but the leaves of the tree of life, we read, bring healing to the nations. Once more, as we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, God's global work to bring together the peoples of the world into one through the blood of Christ is seen. So that no ethnic group will be excluded from his love. But that all will unite together in harmony as we worship him in this glorious paradise. Now this vision, as so much of Revelation has done, continues to draw on the Old Testament prophets. And this is especially seen again through Ezekiel. Remember, at the end of Ezekiel, he is shown a restored end times temple. But in chapter 7 of Ezekiel, what do we see flowing down from this temple? You guess it. You guessed it. A river. A river of water that flows down from the temple. And guess what surrounds this river of water? But trees for food and leaves for healing on the banks of the river. What Ezekiel saw will one day be fulfilled in this greater garden of Eden. So do you see how through the imagery of these verses, our goal is not to go back to the original garden of Eden and become like our first father, Adam. Rather, it is to enter into this perfected garden of Eden as we become like our second Adam. Jesus Christ. Because as these verses show us, God's curse on his creation because of our sin will be removed. When God and the Lamb will rule from the throne over his new creation, providing us with complete safety and security. which means that we will be God's servants who shall serve him as priests in worship. Because he will always reign supreme as we worship him and enjoy life in his presence forever. 
brothers and sisters, we will finally become what God created us to be as his image bears. And we will be this glorified humanity forever. But don't miss the glorious promise of verse 4. In verse 4, we read and listen that they shall see his face. We will see the very face of God, which is what theologians call the beatific vision of God. This beatific vision, which means the sight that makes us happy. Oh, what a day that will be when we will finally see God. This is why when we sing in that Wonderful hymn, it is well with my soul, the final verse. O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. The day is coming when our faith shall be sight. Which is why the Apostle Paul looks forward to this day in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Paul writes there, For now we see in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. This is a unmediated relationship in the presence of God that we simply do not experience in this fallen world. It's why Moses, God said to Moses, that you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. It's why John, the same Apostle John, who here wrote, Revelation wrote in his Gospel, John 1, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is the, in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. What we see in this picture from Revelation is that the time is coming when we will directly see God's face and live eternally with him in this glorious paradise. You can see how deeply, how deeply this beatific vision has impacted John. It's found throughout his writings, including his first letter, 1 John chapter 3. Listen to verses 2 and 3, where John writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We will see God as he is, face to face. 
Do you see then how God is what makes this a glorious paradise? That it's not the city's beautiful gold or its precious jewels. It's not the garden's living water or its fruit. Because without our triune God's presence, this eternal paradise of joy will become an empty place of misery. And so uh, what we desire in the midst of eternity in this glorious paradise is seeing God and living in His presence. But not only will we see God's face, what does Revelation show us? But His name will also be on our foreheads. Now back in chapter 7, God's name is stamped onto the foreheads of His servants as a seal to show that He owns His people and protects us through our suffering in this world until we are free from all suffering in the world to come. But now we see that this ownership, the ownership that God has of us continues eternally, which means that we will continue to be the objects of His love forever. We will always be His people. That's why John then repeats what we previously saw about our life in this eternal city. There shall be no night there, that they need no lamp or light of the sun, for the Lord God gives us light. Now, throughout Scripture, we've seen how often darkness represents evil and wickedness. We even heard about it this morning as the Scripture was read, where thieves usually break in and steal under the cover of darkness. But the spiritual darkness will no longer exist in God's presence, since His glory will radiate like light through all of His creation. And then we come to those wonderful words at the end of verse 5, and they shall reign forever and ever. So do you see that our eternal or our, our millennial reign with Christ will turn into an eternal reign with God? That while we will be His servants, we will also rule over His new creation in the world to come. But oh, listen to me this morning. Do you want to drink the waters of this river? Do you want to eat of the fruit of this tree? Do you want to be free from the curse of sin? Do you want to see God's face? Because all of this will be yours to enjoy by believing in Christ. Oh, you cannot earn your way into this glorious paradise because we are all far too sinful. But 
we will enter into this glorious paradise with Christ as our Savior. Because God freely gives this future to all who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who are reconciled to God through faith, and who are ready for the eternal joy of life in His presence. So, confess your sins to God in repentance and come to Christ in faith. Trust in the one who gave himself for you so that this will be your glorious paradise of life with God. Oh, come to Christ and be saved so that this will be your steadfast hope. This is the picture that God gives us. The enjoyment of paradise. Brothers and sisters, we continue then by looking at verses 6 to 9 where we read of our preparation for paradise. See, after all that John has seen, The angel who has been his guide repeats what God himself had said in chapter 21, verse 5, that these words are faithful and true. So what John has written through these symbolic visions will one day become a reality. There's no need to question them or to doubt them. But they are certain and sure. That's why we can trust in these words of our glorious paradise with Christ. And so even if we are killed as martyrs under the persecution of this world, we will rise with resurrection life to this eternal future of joy in God's presence. And this is why the Lord God of the Holy Prophet sent his angel to show his servants this picture, or in all of the pictures here in Revelation, of what must shortly take place. So even after almost 2,000 years since Christ was on the earth, the time until our coming paradise remains short. We are to live expecting this to come soon knowing that however long it may be until this world to come arise, God's sovereign promises in this book are certain they will come true, and our time in this world will not compare to our eternity dwelling with God. So why John then hears the reassuring words that Christ himself had previously encouraged his churches with. And Christ said, Behold, I am coming quickly. So we live in this world eagerly expecting the return of Christ. Which then takes us back to the very beginning of Revelation, where in chapter 1, verse 3, 
read of the first blessing that's pronounced on us. Read there, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. And through Revelation, there are seven of these blessings pronounced. This is the sixth of the seven blessings or the Beatitudes that are declared here in the book of Revelation. Because God promises blessing to all those who persevere in our faith and endure to the end as we struggle and suffer in this sin-filled world. So we listen to the words of this book and keep these words in our obedience through the trials and the tribulation which we face for our faith in Christ and in following Him. Again, listen to the words of George Eldon Ladd. He writes, The prophecies of the Revelation were not written to satisfy intellectual curiosity about the future. Oh, how that needs to be repeated today. Let me say it again. The prophecies of the Revelation were not written to satisfy intellectual curiosity about the future. Revelation is not simply to be a crystal ball to show us what is about to happen or what's coming in the future. So why were the prophecies of Revelation written? Lad goes on to say they were written that the church might be able to live in the will of God by keeping the words of the prophecy. That John wrote his prophecy not only to inform the church about the events of the consummation, but to admonish her to steadfast and unswerving loyalty to Jesus Christ in the face of demonic powers or pressures and persecution. He therefore pronounces a beatitude on those who heed and stand fast and who endure to the end. This is why we have revelation. In scripture. So John finishes here by testifying that he has seen and heard these things. And what he has recorded is his firsthand eyewitness account of God's symbolic visions of prophecy, which he has recorded for us. What happens after he has seen and heard these things? Well, John is once again overcome. So he falls down and bows down to worship the angel who has now shown him these things. And you may remember this happened once before. Back in chapter 19, verse 10. So we're reminded of how easy it is for us to stray from worshiping God to worshiping something in his creation that we are overwhelmed by or in awe of. And so he receives the same rebuke from the angel as he had before. Don't do that! Like us, angels are God's servants, and they serve those called to reveal God's words to us as prophets and those who remain faithful to God's words of this book. But we are those who worship God alone. Oh, how prone we can be, though, to idolatry 
in our remaining sin, even as Christians, how tempted we can be to not worship God in the purity of which he has given to us and revealed to us in Scripture, but we can easily corrupt our worship of God according to our imagination and the devices of men, as our confession warns. So what do these angelic words teach us as we prepare for this glorious paradise? But it reveals the centrality of Scripture in our lives. This is why we must devote ourselves to hearing God's words pre- word preached. It's, it's why we must devote ourselves to reading God's word in our lives. It's why we must devote ourselves to meditating on and memorizing God's word. Because it is through this book that we are shown Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in Having Christ revealed to us, we are then equipped by the Holy Spirit to persevere in our faith as we obey all the things that Christ has commanded us until His return. You know, this is why the Psalms begin the way they do. Turn back with me, if you can, to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, because it's in the first Psalm. We are shown how God's word leads us to our glorious paradise in God's presence. Let's read together Psalm 1 in light of the word picture we have received in Revelation 22. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What shall he be like? Verse 3, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Does that sound familiar? We continue. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Do you see then? It's through the Word of God that we see Christ in all of His righteousness. And when we then believe in Christ and love Christ by keeping His commands, it is through this life that we look forward to the glorious paradise where we will enjoy in His presence. So do you see then how we prepare 
to enjoy God's glorious prayer paradise. Oh, let us prepare to enjoy God's glorious paradise. Because God has given us this word picture so that we will admire what is to come. And it's as we reflect upon this picture that takes us all the way back to creation itself and the Garden of Eden. But it reveals to us that that garden was meant to show us a greater garden, a glorified garden, which has been created and cultivated for us by Christ. He is the second Adam who does what the first Adam failed to do in his sin because he expands the garden into a city which covers the globe so that we enjoy this paradise in God's presence forever. May this picture then move us to prepare for his glorious paradise by taking the time to appreciate what these words reveal to us and to keep these words until we finally will see God's face. Oh, may we all live with this hope, the hope of enjoying God's glorious paradise. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we are simply in awe of the picture you have given us of this eternal garden city where we will be the bride of Christ and see you face to face. May then this glorious paradise lead us to live in this world as those preparing for the world to come. by keeping your word and the words of this prophecy as we admire the pictures that you have given us through the visions of Revelation. Father, we pray then for these things in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.